Welcome to Second Cherry, an actual Eurovision podcast, and welcome home from Turin. Yes, hello, this is Second Cherry, and I'm Matt. And I'm Monty. This is the podcast that usually brings you the songs that didn't make it to the Eurovision Song Contest. But as you know, we've been bringing you daily news bulletins, interviews and rehearsal reviews from Turin. And now, we're back home. (laughs) Hello, Matt. Hello, Monty. Feels like I've not seen you for 48 hours. Yep, yep. And then (laughs) (laughs) Although I am considerably less tired now. Have you had a good night's sleep in your own bed? I have. I slept all day and all night before. (laughs) I literally came into my bedroom, dumped everything, was like, under my covers, sleep. Oh, were you? Yeah, literally. Oh, gosh. I had to go out and get my new specs and everything. (laughs) And then I watched the whole show again last night. And then a workman woke you up early. Yes. I had my boiler serviced at 10 to 8 this morning. It's not even a euphemism, dear listener. <laughs> Actual boiler issues. Indeed. But we are here to do the roundup of Turin. The roundup that we promised you on Sunday that we didn't get to you on Sunday for reasons. Reasons. Well, UK reasons. Let's blame the UK. Well, I can only blame myself, really, to be honest. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I celebrated, not wisely, but well. And um, yes, I was otherwise incapacitated on Sunday. Yeah, it had to be managed the night before, was what we're telling people. That's I, the, that's I did. <laughs> I had to be taken home. <laughs> and um, you were checking out some alternative accommodation. Yeah, you know, Let's like, put it like every good traveller should. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. Here we, we are. We are doing the roundup for you at our first opportunity. Our first capable opportunity, anyway. But yes, we hope you don't mind the delay. We it was worth it. It was. <laughs> so Matt, immediate reaction. I mean, wow, what a Eurovision, eh? I just I just can't get my head around, even now, that the UK won the jury vote and came second. We'll talk about more about the UK in a minute, but just it just has a weird feel the whole haze over Eurovision this year just suddenly turned for me. After the final, just it was just a crazy set of results. It was unbelievable. I mean, when I finally woke up on Sunday, I was sort of woken with a startle because I just remembered what had happened. And I was like, oh my God, I, I can't quite believe it. I mean, it's been a long time since we've had that good of a result. And I tell you, in the hall, the atmosphere was incredible. I mean, from start to finish, we had seats at the side of the stage so we could see the artists lining up behind the sun as they were coming out for the flag parade and Sam was on our side of the hall. And he was so excited because there was a little pause before he was brought on. And so he was leaping up and down and waving the flag and waving at all the British fans who were all in that section. And just from then on... It was just electric. I thought it was an absolutely brilliant show. And, oh my God, when those points came in, not just points, but twelves rained down. I have never experienced anything like that in the Eurovision Hall. The closest I've got is when Blue came 11th in 
Dusseldorf. And it was exciting because we got, I think, the first 12 or a very early yeah. 12. And, I mean, that was exciting. But then, of course, you know, it just all went. But to sit through a whole set of jury votes and think, oh, my God, we're actually in with a chance here was just incredible. Even, first time I've ever experienced it. And it was wonderful. Even that last vote that came through the jury, like, it was still, it wasn't like we weren't used to it then. Even then, I was like, wow, how is this possible i was i wasn't with you in the arena i went to a rooftop hotel with some other friends who didn't have tickets and i felt a little bit sad about that but it's good to be with friends but then when i got there it's beautiful setting they wheeled out a tv we had great view drinks you know were coming it was just it was just stunning and i just remember looking around at the people around us there were other eurovision fans from other countries and it was just they knew we were brits and so every time we got points, they're like looking over at us, like clapping, like, oh, good for you, good for you. And it's just, it's a lovely vibe. So it doesn't matter where you were, how you watched it. It was just everyone had the same sort of unbelievable sort of reaction. To what and was people were supporting the votes for the other countries. I know there were a few boos for, you know, some of the 12s that came through for Azerbaijan because people felt it was a bit fixed. Um, and I know there was the boo for you know, Cyprus giving Greece the 12. But, you know, that's always going to happen. Yeah. She did pick up a lot of votes from other people as well. But there was a lot of cheers. Every time the Spanish got votes, every time the Swedish got votes, every time Ukraine got votes. And that's what I love about Eurovision. You know, there is supporting your own country, but it's not blind nationalism. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of patriotism. But there's also that kind of support of the other songs and the other artists as well. And I absolutely love it. It was so, so wonderful watching that come in. I have to say, I was when I saw the photo of where you were, I was a little bit jealous because you had a much comfier seat and you could get to the bar easier. And there was no queue for the bar. I didn't have that. And we could, see, the, we could see the scoreboard as well. We? Yeah, we couldn't oh. see the scoreboard terribly well in the hall. But still, I mean, you know, the atmosphere really was incredible. Before we talk about Ukraine's victory, and before we talk more in depth about the UK's stunning result, let's have a look at that top 10. There were perhaps some surprises in the top 10. We're going to run them down 10 to 1. In 10th place, Norway, with Subwoofer, Give That Wolf a Banana, Matt your thoughts on that position i think that's about right i think that we know that it could be a bit of a divisive song although as we've said as well it was a decent song they had a lot of momentum behind them i'm not surprised by that what they got 182 points in total that's a that's a decent result for a song which on the face of it is still quite risky Absolutely, and I think it's a, about the right balance between the jury and the um, the televote for that song. I think it was a good, fun song, but it didn't really feel like a winning song. So yeah, 10th place for Norway feels about right. In ninth place though, Matt, your favourite song overall, Portugal, Maro and Saudade, Saudade. Mm, I have never been so happy to be so wrong. <laughs> uh, I honestly when, you know they had the jury votes first of course that was a more jury focused song great she did really well I was like that's excellent if they get nothing and I was actually thinking are they going to get nothing from the televote but no um, she got was it 30 odd or six, 36 televote points which seems fairly small but actually you know in comparison to everything else that was going on I thought that was quite good so she got a bit of everything and I just yeah juries loved her 
171 points from the jury. It was absolutely <laughs> incredible. Um, 207 overall. I think as well, you know, that televote was low, but it was very, very early in the draw. Um, and so it does get a bit memory hold. And it always felt a little bit more like a jury song. But I'm absolutely thrilled it came top 10 because it's just so lovely and gentle. And it felt like that kind of song that there was a momentum building. There's a couple of people I follow on Twitter and um, I don't necessarily follow them for any purposes other than the aesthetic. And they've been talking about how much they enjoyed the Portuguese song. And yeah, it really seems to have touched a chord. It's absolutely lovely and really sweet that people have responded to such a gentle, gentle, sweet song. In eighth place, it was Greeks Die Together, Amanda Georgiada Tenfield, and she got 215 points altogether. Again, a very strong song. I always thought this would do quite well. I'm not sure I necessarily saw it in the top 10, but yeah, I mean, very well staged, very effective, very current as well, contemporary sounding. Yeah, I think I had this just about in my top 10, as in I thought it would be top 10. Um, she had so- something about this performance in the finals, a little bit more intense. It's almost like they turned up the intensity and she and it really meant something to her. She has a bit of fire, whereas before we called it more like a spectral form. She had a bit of fire in her belly and it was, yeah, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, you really want this. In seventh place, a song that probably illustrates the split between the jury vote and the public vote um, very keenly is Moldova, Zdobstub and the Advachov brothers with Trenelutul, which got 253 points overall, but 239 of them were from the televote. It was second in the televote and it was only 14 in the jury vote. Wow, that is... Is that the biggest gap? I don't think it is the big, I think I actually think Portugal might be the biggest gap of but still the disagreement there between Televote and Jewelry. It's massive, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised that that did really well with the public. It came on amid a string of slower songs and it really felt like the party song. And you could feel the atmosphere change in the arena as people responded to it and with just joy. And I think that's always going to be the kind of knees up song that uh, the televoters at home are going to support more than the professional juries. But just to point out the amount of televoting points from that semi-final that both Ukraine and Moldova are in, they hoovered up so many of the available televoting points mm-hmm. that there wasn't much left for the rest of the people in those semi-final. And so the anyone with a decent jury score from that semi-final got through. And we said that, didn't we? Hence why we saw songs like Switzerland and Lithuania and Iceland going through. In sixth place, overall, it's Italy, Mahmoud and Blanco with Brividi, 268 points. I think they will be disappointed with this, um, a little bit, because obviously sixth place is incredible. But they, I think they had there was that feeling of they could win, they could do it, you know, second, third again, but I think they would be a little bit like, ah, all right, all right. Yeah, perhaps. It's one of those interesting results in that they were seventh with the jury, eighth with the televoting, but came sixth overall once the the scores were added together. Um, And that just shows the way that the differences in how the the jury and the televote are ranked 
um, can make that difference once everything is added up. I mean, I think part of it's part of Rye will be pleased they don't have to host again next year. <laughs> but actually, I think there was something in the way the, the Italians came to embrace the contest in the end that will maybe make them regret not having embraced it earlier and therefore wish they could have a second go at it. But, you know, it's Italy and I think that they'll be back, you know, hosting before much longer because they're so bloody good at this since they came back. In fifth place, oh my God, Serbia. Constructed with Incorporasano, 312 points. This was another one where the difference between the jury vote and the um, Televo was really, really pronounced. It was 11th in the jury vote with 87 points, but it got a massive 225 from the Televo. It was fourth in the Televo, which meant it was fifth overall. I'm so pleased that people responded to the risk that Serbia was taking. I am a bit surprised that it's so high, because I think those songs, that has, that, that's the most divisive song, I think, in the mix. And usually I thought that was going to do like a hattery where it would be so divisive, it would just fall straight bang in the middle of the of the pack. But you know, that is a decent, decent televote score. That is people saw what you saw, Monty. And Constructor is well known in the region. And yes, she hoovered up a lot of votes from the ex-Yugoslav countries, countries where she would be already known. But not solely. I mean, people responded to this and they responded really, really well to this. I think people could see something very different on stage. They could see something which was quirky, but clearly wasn't just a novelty song because they had the subtitles on the screen. People could sense it was there was a message there. And I think for me, that's always been the essence of it. You might not know what's going on, but by God, you're intrigued to find out and you're engaged with the song and you're going... Wow, I'm not sure what that was, but I really liked it. And if you like it, you're going to go, do you know what? I'm going to vote for that hand-washing song. Well done to Serbia. That is probably the result I'm most pleased about in the whole contest. Fourth overall was Sweden. Cornelia Jacobs with Hold Me Closer, 438 points. There was a bit of a jump here from Serbia in the total points. Um, I think they'll be pleased with this. You know, second with the jury, decent, loads loads of points from the jury, and sixth in the televote. Um, just, yeah, really solid, which is kind of what we always said about, what everyone's been saying about that entry. It's solid, it's Sweden, of course it is, and with the, they've come back with solid points. But Sweden suffered in the televote in recent years. Remember Benjamin Ingrosso? Yes. How he hardly got any televotes at all? And actually it became a meme of him looking at that empty field and, you know, these are all the people who televoted for me. There's nobody there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so finally, I mean, Sweden have got a decent televote out of this. And um, I think they should be really pleased with that. I know that I think they wanted to win. And I think a lot of people thought they were going to win with this. But yeah, I think fourth is is a good result overall. In third place, wow, she is booty hypnotic after all. And by God, could we see her booty? It's Spain. Yeah, you know, we said, didn't we, that we watched the, we watched uh, before the final, we watched the UK and Spain back to back, the rehearsals. Mm -hmm. And when we watched them back to back, Spain really stuck out. And we're like, oh, actually, that's, oh, that's a bit good. Uh, Third overall third with the juries third in the televote 
So, With a very similar score, actually. 231 jury points, 228 televote points. This is the song that was most consistent, I think, on the night. Yeah, because what you see is what you get. You know yeah. you know what it is. It's got everything. It ticks all the boxes. Yeah, everybody loved it. And, and it, I mean, the reaction in the hall was enormous. I think this got the biggest reaction in the hall. And it was that thing of the, the momentum building through the routine and the reaction building and people just going absolutely wild for it at the end. I mean, I hope this is a breakout hit because it absolutely deserves to be the summer hit. It is absolutely cracking. No pun intended that you could see her crack and most of her dancers as well. (laughs) Spain there in third place. So we know who came in second. It's the United Kingdom. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. A stunning result for Sam. Um, 466 points altogether, seven ahead of Spain, who had 459. And yeah, just a joy to see topping the jury vote at the halfway mark with all 40 juries. And of course, that massive televote score for Ukraine edged them into a clear victory with 631 points overall. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail as well. So that's the top 10 in Eurovision 2022. So Monty, let's talk about the UK first. The result, as we just said, second, winning the jury vote. Uh, What about the reaction back home with the press? Well, actually, because we're a few days later than we'd intended to be with this we've been able to come home and we've been able to see some of the reaction and obviously sam got home on sunday night so yesterday monday it's tuesday when we're recording this and today he's been kind of all over the news again um you know he's been doing the morning shows this morning i caught some on bbc breakfast i caught him on lorraine and it's just been generally really positive. You know, Lorraine show had the graphic on screen of a Eurovision hero. And, you know, unless we have a winner, our press normally rips people to shreds and calls them Eurovision flops. Bearing in mind that Lorraine is ITV, not BBC. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a bit of a rival thing. They'll try and jump. But no, it's been. And even on some BBC radio stuff, we there's this lovely video of when um, he did the Zoe Ball show, one of the uh, disc jockeys, radio disc jockeys, Radio 2 this was, and there was this video of when he entered the studio and she ran up to him and just jumped on him and was like, I'm so excited, oh, you're... And there was just this joyous moment and you just think, yeah, that's exactly... Suddenly it feels like this outpouring of like relief and emotion that... But joy is the emotion that I would pick up from that. You said it was joyous, and I think that's what I'm sensing people feeling. There's a real sense of feel-good factor. There's a real sense of engagement with Eurovision because of this. I mean, people who don't give two shits about it are really made up about this. It's like we've been waiting for this to happen, and suddenly it has, and people feel really elated about it. And that is just incredible to me. I'm absolutely loving people's reaction to it. I don't know if this is by accident, but I went into work for the first time today and obviously everyone wanted to know what was going on. And it's funny that my, bo- my boss said to me, oh, you know, there was there, there's lots of different songs, you know, in Eurovision this year. I was like, well, there's always lots of different songs. The reason why you're now open to the thought of seeing Eurovision for how we see it is because suddenly we started doing well. 
And I just feel like maybe there are lots of people who are going to be having that same reaction, like, oh, was actually, was actually quite good. You're like, well, yeah, because all before you're you're ready to hate it or you're ready to be like, oh, bloody UK, whatever. I don't know. Maybe this is the shift. I hope it is. And I think, you know, Sam and the BBC have talked quite openly about wanting to change that perspective. And I think somebody said when we were into it, that it was, would this be the UK's Anouk moment? The moment where the Netherlands changed gear, started getting good results and started changing their whole attitude towards um, participation in the contest. And I really hope that this is. It already feels like it. The narrative seems as though it already is around, has this changed our fortunes? Has this changed the, the way that we engage with Eurovision? And I really hope it has, because the problem for me over recent years has not been the lack of will of the BBC to do well. It's been the lack of options from which they've had to choose. People have not seen Eurovision as an aspirational career move in the UK. And, you know, with good reason, because we've had poor results um, and our music industry doesn't need Eurovision as a platform like Eurovision is needed in other markets as a platform that's springboard to international notoriety. But it really feels as though the dial has shifted. I was speaking to Paddy O'Connell um, from the BBC in um, Turin, and we were having this conversation, and we're going, well, anybody could put themselves forward now, next year. It'll be really fascinating to see who is inspired by Sam's victory and who wants to get on board and have a piece of this pie. I think there's something in looking at these social media stars who are on the verge of signing deals or have just signed a deal. That's something to be said because then you're sort of bypassing the issue of the music industry not really willing to let their artists go for an, an inordinate amount of time. and You know, it's there's something in this. The BBC has tapped into it. Maybe that's a discussion for later. But just to go through some of the points here. So we've got eight 12s from juries. That was Austria, Azerbaijan, Belgium, Czech Republic, France, Georgia, Germany, Ukraine. Must just say Azerbaijan and Georgia were two of the juries where an aggregated vote was given instead of the jury score. More of that in a moment. Mm-hmm. But I still don't think that detracts from it. No, not at all. And then we got one twelve point for a televote from uh, Malta, which isn't that surprising. Malta generally has done that <laughs> lots in the past. But what about how many countries voted for us? Because remember, Europe hates us, as being the narrative. Europe doesn't vote for us. How many countries voted for us, Matt? Well, out of a possible 39. Well, only five countries didn't vote for us in the televote. Only five. That's North Macedonia, Serbia, Montenegro, Slovenia and Croatia. Croatia being the only country not to give us any points either in the jury or televote. That's it. There's only five countries that didn't give us televote points. That is empirical evidence that Europe does not hate us and will vote for us whatever we send they'll never vote for us whatever we send well we sent something good and they voted for it so it's interesting that all the five countries that didn't vote for us in the televote are all ex-Yugoslav yeah but then also I think there's also an element of musical taste in this I think that's quite an obvious you know 
smattering of countries that have a very different, very different musical taste to us and Western music. So I'm not at all surprised, really. But yeah, combined, when you look at the televotes and the jury votes combined, only one country, only Croatia, did not vote for the UK. So yeah, let's put that bloody rumour to bed that Europe hates us and never votes for us. Enough. So let's have a look at Ukraine's results. I mean, I have to say, I didn't think Ukraine was going to do it. And it was only as the jury votes were creeping up and creeping up and creeping up that I realised, okay, all this needs now is a big televote and they've got it. And boy, did they get a big televote. You can talk about political voting. You can talk about the reasons that people might have wanted to show solidarity with Ukraine. I would say under the circumstances, that's more a humanitarian and supportive stance rather than a political stance. But this televote was overwhelming. It was the biggest televote we've ever seen. Ukraine got 93.8% of the available score in its televote. It got an average of 11.26 points per televote. That's huge. It's absolutely enormous. The, the thing, point I want to make out about Ukraine and such a huge televote is it's going back to why Eurovision exists in the first place. You know, we've, the, the word World War Three has been mentioned lots of times in recent <laughs> months. And this was, you know, after World War Two, Eurovision was created to bring countries together. I just feel like, is that, are we not seeing on display exactly the values of Euro European values coming together back once again to you know what it once was do you know people often say that eurovision is political and i think you know we do see geopolitics played out on the stage at times but we also see sociopolitics played out on the stage this is not the first time that people are responding to a broader social context in the world at Eurovision. If you look at Conchita's victory in 2014, I think that is attributed in part to the anti-LGBT moves that were being brought in in the politics of Russia and other countries at the time. Um, and it was a vote of solidarity and support um, in what Conchita as an artist represented. If you look at Netta's victory in 2018, it was on the back of the Me Too movement. And there was a, a song with the story of female emancipation. And if you look even at Ukraine's victory in 2016, it was on the back of Russia having annexed Crimea. And Jamala came along with a very, very personal history on that theme. Not a political song necessarily, it was a personal story. It was the story of her family. But it tapped in to what was going on in the broader world at the time. And therefore, people responded to that. That's what I see in this victory for Ukraine. Yeah. People wanting to show solidarity and doing that through the medium of the international stage. And this is one of the biggest international stages you're ever going to get. And tell people, tell the Ukrainian people to their face that it's just politics, that their country's been invaded. No. It's a personal stories. 
I am really moved by the Ukrainian victory. And I what I absolutely love as well is that there really feels as though the majority of people are moved by this as well. You can see by the, you know, that, that level of support in the Televo, this is the winner that European viewers wanted to see. And there are people on the sidelines that are carping about this, that are criticising the result, you know, bemoaning the end of the world and the end of the contest and the contest and distribute. Bollocks. I'm having none of that. This victory means something. And I'm really, really glad to see Ukraine win. So the host city was Turin in Italy. Monty, thoughts on production, first of all, because there was a lot written and a lot spoken about the broadcaster, Rai, and the production, um, how there were a lot of issues in the lead up to the shows, especially. I don't know about you, but I sort of feel like it, it felt like there was more of that this year. We certainly saw more of it because we, we kind of had, a, in a weird way, in a year where they reduced access, we sort of had more access when things went wrong in the in the rehearsals that we could see. We, we You know, the microphones were left open that we could hear things and conversations. So we saw there was a lot of issues. What are your thoughts on, on the production? Well, I think overall, they came together and did a pretty good show. It's a pretty good TV show. And I've said before that, you know, the Italians had one job, and that's to produce a TV show. Well, three jobs, if you're looking at three three outputs. Um, and I think that, you know, ultimately, they did a pretty good job of that. I think people watching this have really enjoyed this year's Eurovision. Yes, there were little glitches with cameras. Yes, there were little, you know, things that weren't quite right on the night. But, you know, that's live TV. Um, I think that they were up against it before they even started because the Eurovision fans were always going to judge this against 1991. I think, you know, 1991 lives long in the memory for all of the chaos. And actually, when you look at it, the chaos is really only in the presenters towards the end of the show during the voting, which is the part of the show you can't really rehearse. Yes, a couple of glitches earlier on in the show, but generally... It was down to the presenter's ineptitude. It wasn't really to do with Rise production in 1991. So I think they, they kind of were, were, were being unfairly judged by people who were holding them to standards that, you know, were just ridiculous. I think in the end, yeah, they, you know, it was, it was fun to watch. I think, yeah, there may well have been problems, but maybe that's just the Italian way. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is why what we love about Eurovision, every Eurovision is different. Um, we can talk about the experience of Eurovision. You know, a lot of people saying that this one, oh, it's not the best Eurovision. And, and, and in a way, yes, you know, everyone's got their own opinion. But I think by and large, people are thinking this wasn't their best Eurovision experience as a fan. Um, but then, as someone pointed out in the Euro Club on the final night, does every Eurovision have to be the best Eurovision we've ever had? Well, no, and it can't be. Exactly. But uh, and we wouldn't want that. That would, uh, What would that look like? That'd be weird. But in terms of experience on the ground, I feel like, yes, it wasn't great. There were some things which were incredible, like the cost the cost of everything. You know, I was going to Italy thinking, oh, no, last time I went to Italy, it cost me a bomb. Actually, it wasn't that expensive. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. Getting around wasn't that bad at all, although taxis were a bit trickier at <laughs> 5am at the Euro Club, but um, that's general stuff. And also things like, you know, just the city itself. We had a little wander around. It was beautiful. At any any point we could stop, have a drink and 
take it all in. And the hospitality was really wonderful. You know, people were really joyful and really pleasant and really engaged with you. And it was my first time in Italy as an adult. The last time I was there was 15. And I'm really really keen to go back and see more of Italy now. I had such a lovely experience on the ground. I think there's a different engagement with Eurovision with the Italians than there is with San Remo. A little bit like there is with Melfest and the Swedes. I mean, the Swedes, I think, love Melfest more than they love Eurovision. And they love Eurovision. The Italians, San Remo is so much part of the culture and has been for all of those years that they weren't participating in Eurovision. But I really got the feeling that as the week went on, there was much, much more engagement. You could see that by the sheer number of locals that were trying to get into the Eurovision village to get a part of it. You know, people were really, really much more engaged by the end of it. I think that, you know, if they, if they did it again, they'd also sense some of the opportunities that I think they missed by not really understanding, you know, what Eurovision meant to a lot of us who were going to be there as tourists. But I thought the whole in the whole experience was absolutely lovely. Talking about public engagement about it, I got resale tickets, I said that, you know, on for the semi-finals. And there seemed to be not loads, but quite a fair you know, fair amount of tickets left. And as soon as that first semi-final went out, all resale tickets for all shows gone. And I think that I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that's down to the Italians, local Italians going, Oh wait a minute, Eurovision's here and it's bloody good and then oh my god we've got San Marino in the second semi-final oh, that's and yeah and they're gone and they went it's a little bit like when the the Olympics were in London you know people were like oh I'm really indifferent to it or really apathetic about it or you know all I'm getting out of London when it's all and actually when it started everybody wanted a piece of it <laughs> you know everybody was like oh my god this is amazing I've got to be involved somehow and I think that's kind of what happened. I think the Italians are going to be big Eurovision fans from now. So, yeah, thank you, Turin. I think you were a decent house city. Agreed. So, not everything went smoothly, of course. There was the uh, allegations of voting irregularities. A statement was put out by the EBU during the final that six countries, well, countries I think they just said or then they named them but we can work them out by which countries don't have detailed jury scores <laughs> on the Eurovision.tv website Azerbaijan Georgia Montenegro Poland Romania and San Marino were found to have had irregular voting patterns in the second semi-final therefore their jury votes for the second semi-final and the final were replaced by an aggregated vote based on the vote of other countries in their pots that they were allocated for the semi-final draw. These pots, of course, were predetermined. They were approved by the reference group back in January. And so they were the, the pots that made up the scores. We don't know what's happened. And we're still waiting for a little bit more detail on this. But I know that the broadcasters who've been implicated have really pushed back and said, well, hang on a minute. There was nothing irregular about our votes. We voted according to the rules. We had the notaries, etc. So it remains to be seen what's going to happen with this. But there's a little bit of intrigue hanging over the Eurovision results. I don't think it's going to change the results at all. And also, nothing's coming close to beating Ukraine, even on a recount. So, you know, the the winner, the winning song, 
there's absolutely no doubt about. But yeah, just a little bit of late controversy <laughs> to add to the mix, and we will see what happens. Of course, three of those jurors uh, were we didn't even get their spokesperson on TV, and we had Martin Ustadol giving the votes. So yeah, we don't know what happened there. Whether they had a fit of pique and refused to appear. So, yeah, we wait to find out what more may come of that. One other thing to round up as well is the Marcel Besançon Awards. These are awarded additional to the main prize and they are awarded for the Artistic Award, the Press Award and the Composers Award. And they went to, the Artistic Award went to Serbia this year. Yay! Well deserved. The Press Award, the Press voted for the United Kingdom. To win that, so Sam did win something as well as the jury vote, and the Composers Award went to Sweden. So well done to those three countries for winning the Marcel Besançon Awards. So we have a few thank yous that we want to do as we draw to a close. We want to thank. Everybody who's listened, everybody who's followed us on social media, everybody who's engaged with us. We want to thank the EBU and the team that we know there for putting on a great show, but also for all of the social media and updates that you've given us, uh, especially where they were exclusive updates and you were our sole source of news. Thank you for that. We want to thank the BBC and all the team there. Um, We know how hard you work. We know how much this must mean to you. Uh, And we want to thank you and the UK Embassy in Italy for the invitation to the reception for Sam in Milan. Just a point point about the BBC. I just, they felt a lot more open and instead of being sort of a closed, a very difficult delegation to speak to or get hold of anything like that, this year it felt very open. Um, Very much appreciate that. Absolutely. We want to do another thank you, and we've already done it on the podcast, to Jakob and all of his work to get the Euro Fans Club going. Thank oh my God. goodness. I was cursing you on Sunday afternoon <laughs> after the Saturday night club, but I had such a good time there. Thank you. Thank you for bringing us that, because we wouldn't have had that kind of experience this year without it. And of course, all of the friends that we saw out in Turin. So that's another year of the Eurovision Song Contest done and dusted. The fans have left the city, the stage has been dismantled and put away, the artists and delegations have flown back home where I hope they've received the incredible reception they all deserve. The Eurovision Village is, well, probably still being built as we speak, but hey, it gave us a community and a place for fans and local Italians to discover or rediscover the contest. The circus, dear listener, has departed. We want to thank everyone that's been listening to our coverage and to those who stopped us in the arena and in the Euro Club to tell us why you enjoy Second Cherry. Thank you. That really means the world to us and it's given us a new lease of life. And what will we do with that newfound vigour for Eurovision, Monty? Well, I'll tell you, Matt. Just like the Lithuanian national final, Pabandom Ishnayo, we go again. And in a month's time, we'll be bringing you the first episode of Second Second Cherry, Cherry. almost a Eurovision podcast. 
<laughs> Damn right. It's not over, dear listener. It's only just begun. From next month, we become that podcast again. The podcast that brings you the songs that didn't make it to the Eurovision Song Contest. Yes, we'll bring a new country and a new cherry each week. And yes, we've got a live show at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern. The Second Cherry Song Contest 2022 is good to go. We'll see you next month. See you later. Bye. Bye.